Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 4, Episode 11 of Farscape. Unrealized Reality. Ugh, God, this one was a slog to get through. Okay, you're just wrong. And, And here's the thing, I know that you were saying while we were watching this episode that it's too late in the series, and by the way, we are... Nearly halfway through the final season, so mm. we're we're hitting the home stretch. You said it was too far into the series for them to introduce a whole new concept, which in this case is that wormholes allow you to travel through time as well as space. Thank you, Abed. Yes, I was about to say apologies to Abed, I guess, although he should have cited that if that was his theory. Right? It, that always bothered me on Community. I'm like, Abed, that's not a theory. Have you not... They textually say it. Don't you guys watch the show? Now I'm making a Galaxy Quest reference while I'm talking about the community reference to Farscape. But that's not what we're here to talk about. What I want to say is it's not... It doesn't matter that wormholes can travel through time as well as space. That's fine. That's like normal. We assume that. That's assumed. So assumed that the writers on community who didn't bother to watch Farscape already assumed it. But... That's not even what this episode's about. What this episode is about is more metaphorical than that. It's about the choices we take and how much of what we do is predetermined and how much of what we do is free will. And that has been a concept of this show since day one. When John tells Aaron, you can be more, that is the concept of this show are the choices we make. And we already saw that with Different Destinations, which is the time travel episode where they go back to the church, the mission that Was at war. Yeah, and got everyone genocided. Yeah, and that's just... And that's the whole point of the idea with the two Johns. What is free will and what is... Free won't. Thank you, Max. Mm. Okay, my point is... What, what, I'm sorry, but what choice would John have made that would have made everyone a different alien race? It was the choice to tell the makeup artist, hey, go crazy today. Oh, and we had to spend 15 minutes in that reality where we know nothing that happens and it matters. They spent 15 hours in that makeup chair. You can spend 15 minutes watching the scene. Okay, I do I do admit that scene goes on a, a little bit long. You know what? They could have introduced this concept in an episode that wasn't boring horseshit the entire time. I don't know what to say to you about that. That's that's. Just... It's so... And the framing device that goes on forever and doesn't say anything... The, all the people talking about John, and it's like, okay, was the episode running short? Is that why you're putting all of this stuff in? It doesn't tell us anything about the character. It doesn't tell us anything about how other people see the character. I'm sorry, I actively hated this episode. Okay. So, when the episode opens, John is floating out in space unprotected, and Aaron is... Sitting, watching him float out in space unprotected, practicing learning English. Hmm. And she's like, English is so fucking hard! Why does this language make no sense? Yeah. It does. I, I can imagine. makes no sense. Yeah, English is not a well-constructed language. I know it's the primary language I speak, so I really shouldn't judge, but it's... Uh, it's no, of- no, it's not well... It could, because it's not constructed. It's t- it just happened. English English wasn't made, it just happened to us. Hmm. I'd imagine it would be that much worse if you're not starting with a baseline of Earth not of Earth stuff. Right. Too. Yeah. She doesn't even have she doesn't even have a basis in the same like phonemes that English uses. Also, also, the weird thing that other John was doing where he was teaching her expressions, which like that's not the first thing you teach someone who's learning a new language. Well, I mean, I think the reason he taught her expressions is because with the translator microbes, she that's the only thing that didn't really translate. It seemed to have been a while before they figured out that they had to teach her via writing Mm. to, like, bypass the translator microbes. I don't know. Which I also have an issue with, because then how can John possibly read anything, but... That's one of those, I'm not going to think about it too hard, because you're right. I'm not going to pull on that thread. I I feel like if I pulled on that thread hard enough, I could get enough thread to, like, weave a no-prize out of it, but I'm instead going to choose to not pull it. Mm. I also wonder where the line is drawn and what constitutes a language or not. Like, if you listen to Birdsong, would you just hear, Horny! Horny! Hungry? Horny! My territory! Well, I mean, that's the thing. When you introduce something like translator microbes, how far down does it go? That's a good question. And it's a good question, honestly. 
how much of English it should translate that way. But again, that's <laughs> it's not what we're here to dissect today. I mean, for all we know, maybe it does. Not No, because I refuse to believe that humans are the only species where everything they say basically translates to, I'm trying to get food, I'm trying to get sex. My territory. My side, your side. My, yeah, my side, your side. There, yeah. Okay. There's our answer, I guess. Anyway, speaking of like language and what we say and what we don't say. Mm-hmm. Ooh, look at that transition. There we go. Chiana comes up to talk to Aaron and Dargo goes out to, well, he doesn't go out to talk to John, but he like gets a secure channel to talk to him in his ear. It's one of those, that 70s show style uh, split conversations where we see what the boys are talking about and then what the girls are talking about. Oh, yeah. But in this case, they're talking about the same thing, which is essentially that Aaron and John are still in love with each other and neither of them is doing anything about it. Oh, no, that's how it worked in that 70s show, too. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, it would always be the two boys and two girls would be talking about the same subject and each conversation was kind of answering what the other side was saying. Got it. Got it. Okay, well, then that's exactly what's happening here. Erin doesn't say it, but obviously she's afraid to be in love with John again after she's watched John die. And I'm sure part of her is like, what does it mean to be in love with the man that she already lost? I thought she made the totally healthy choice to just regard both Johns as the same person, even though she knows that they're not and everyone knows that they're not. And it's really not the psychologically healthy thing to do. But well, I mean, she said that, but she's not really doing that or she would be boning this John right now. Right. Mm. And meanwhile, this John Dargo calls him out because Dargo finds out that he's been taking that stuff that Naranti gave him to make him forget. And John's like, it's okay. I'm only taking twice as much as she dosed me. And Dargo's like, are you, are you, are you, no, no, you should take half of what Naranti gives you. Do you not remember any prior interaction with her? Remember the two pooping planets or the pooping planet and the vomiting planet? Were those different planets? No, they were the same planet, but yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of gross stuff has come from trusting Naranti. Also, I don't know. I guess it's not hypocritical of Dargo to be like, don't do drugs, John. Because I was like, it doesn't, doesn't Dargo do drugs? But no, he's just awful on his own all the time. I thought you'd come around that Dargo wasn't that awful all the time. Yes, Dargo is not. A, well, it's it's helped that he stopped immediately doing the worst thing in every situation. Well, remember when we f- first meet Dargo, we learn from Zan that by his species. Yeah, he's a baby having a baby. Yeah, he's he's basically just a teenager. So you know what he is. I know. He's the show's Connor Angel. I was going to say he's the show's Henry. Oh. From Once Upon a Time. I don't know. I turned around way more on Henry until the last season, but that's its own. Well, that doesn't count. None of that counts. Non-canon. Non-canonical. Non-canonical. Except for the last scene where Regina becomes the queen of the universe. Well, I mean, wasn't it all just a dream? Or it was all just a wish? The last season? Wait, no, that was the ending that it should have been. No, the, the the ending was the dark fairy thing where she does the curse and Her- and Henry points out how, like, played out the dark curses at that point. And then they made that the plot of the next season anyway. No, no, no. I was saying we, we when we talked about it, we thought that the wish, wish verse versus them should have been what the, yeah, what it should was. Have been. And then when they did it in the last two episodes, it was the only good part of the season. So it's cl- such a mess. Season, the last season of Once Upon we can't relitigate what a mess the last season of Once Upon a Time is. It's so bad. They, they had one season to keep continuity and they couldn't do it from episode to episode. There's so many dropped plots. They burned through like four different big bads. I can't even imagine what our listeners who had already watched the whole season must have thought listening to us talk about it when we were like, oh, look, they finally course corrected. I'm so excited to be following this plot with Ivy. God, <laughs> the whole Ivy Anastasia thing that gets just dropped halfway through the season. Oh, Anastasia's the chosen one that we've been looking for all season, and she has these weird special magical powers because she's the chosen one. And then it's, whoops, we were wrong. Turns out Alice is the chosen one. Why did Anastasia have those weird powers then? Who knows? Never mentioned again. Anyway, there's another conversation going on at Farscape, and this conversation is between Rigel and Pilot. Rigel is really irritated because Moya is afraid of wormholes. Rigel basically needs Moya to, like, get the fuck over it. Yes. And he's talking, Rigel is talking about how troubled he is about what's going on with John. He says that part of being a successful dominar is knowing when trouble is about to happen. And Pilot 
bitchily points out that Rigel was overthrown by his cousin, so maybe he wasn't the greatest at knowing when stuff was about to go down. Well, I mean, I would like to see how long the average Dominar lasts on a throne before making that judgment. That is so fair of you. Because I have to assume that's a job with high turnover rates. That's, yeah. Like, royalty in a species that spawns. I had never thought about it in those terms, but my God, right? Yeah. Right? Anyway, there's a fourth conversation happening, and that's Scorpius and Sakozu, and it is, like, super sexy. Like, they are super, super into each other. I kind of like how, how like, turned on by each other they are. Yeah. I mean... This is a super horny show, and I like that the Abomination in the S&M gear gets to be horny just along with everyone else. Yeah, Sakozu's like, oh, Scorpius, you're so naughty. I shouldn't be helping you with your plans. Whoops. <laughs> And Scorpius is like, yeah, baby, help me with my plans. Also, she's the one who figured out how to come up with a chemical that can keep his rods cool so that the rods that go in his brain and keep him from dying continue to last. So she's basically like, she's... She fixed her formula, right? Because they they had established earlier that she was the one making the rods now, but they were only like 30% as effective as his old rods. No, I think they're still only like 30% as effective. And it's just they need to be changed out more often. Ah. It is, I guess, a kind of weirdly intimate thing to do. And she, like, basically holds his life in her hands. It's it's very sexy. To be fair, it's really hard to kill Scorpius. Like, you could drop that thing all you wanted and he'd be fine. Somehow, right? Remember he got shot all those times and buried alive? And he's How like, is it that he got buried alive and didn't need to change his rods when he was buried alive? Yeah, yeah, he's just like, whatever. Someone must have come and dug him up really quickly. Anyway, John is watching the spot where he knows a wormhole is about to appear. A wormhole appears, but then it sucks him in. And Aaron from the ship watches it suck him in and is like, fuck! Honestly, it's kind of a powerful moment. Because... Shouldn't John have known that was going to happen with this wormhole sensing thing? Well, no. Was it hubris that he got too close? Ooh, it might have been hubris, but I don't think it was because the wormhole alien sucked him in. Mm. John wasn't expecting it to have agency, you know? So we go to credits, and we when we come back, John wakes up on an iceberg in the middle of, like, a metaphor, in the middle of a wormhole, mm. with a guy who theoretically has taken the form of a human, something that John can connect to, but he actually looks kind of like, kind of like a hybrid between the gentleman and Slenderman. Mm. I was going to say, if you were casting death in a CW show, this would be the guy... <laughs> Um, I think Death at a CW show would be way sexier than this. Death at a CW show would be one of the Chris's and he would be shirtless. No, not if he was like the main character. He looks like I I I didn't I I didn't watch Supernatural past season two. Okay. But I have been on the internet, so he looks like the guy who played Death in Supernatural when they were fighting the four horsemen of the apocalypse or whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, like old, like because I feel like if we're talking Riverdale era, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who your character is or how minor they are. They Miss all... Grundy. Okay, but that's not... Yeah, that, I know. That's they... not fair. I know they threw in that. Do you think that was a, an outrage thing or that was always the plan? That is a very good question. I don't think I've seen a plot that thoroughly dropped since Phoebe and Cole's baby on Charmed. Ha! Yeah, right? They were like, they started the show with Archie having sex with Miss Grundy, and then they were like, oh wait, no! Terrible mistake! Pull up! Pull up! So, uh, there is an... But I was actually thinking of Mr. Lodge and how sexy he is. Yes, they made Mr. Lodge very sexy, and Luke Perry is a sexier man than Mr. Andrews is in canon. I guess that would be an early 2000s CW show where you could have old people if they represented death. And by old, you mean like 40? Because now I'm thinking of that scene in 30 30 Rock Rock, where Jenny plays a a mother on Gossip Girl. And she's like, I am 40. It is time for me to die of old age. Oh, see, no, that's not fair because death's a man. And if you're a man, then you can be in your 40s and you're just one of the Riverdale, I think Cheryl Blossom called them yummy daddies. Right, but you said to be sexy. This guy's not sexy. Yes. That. Also, I don't think this guy's in his 40s. 
Oh, yeah, no, no. It's just he's got non-sexy makeup on. I, I feel comfortable saying he's not sexy because he's wearing non-sexy makeup, not because the actor himself is particularly hideous or anything. Yeah, I mean, I personally wouldn't hook up with this guy, but that's not a comment on his attractiveness. I mean, he, he reminds me of, and again, not a comment on anyone's attractiveness, Honestly, probably more of a comment on me saying he looks like a cross between Slenderman and the Gentleman. Uh, this guy's giving me real Doug Jones vibes. Mm. I was thinking, uh, cleaned up that guy who played uh, Doc Brown, Christopher Lloyd. Interesting. Huh. Cleaned up slightly more sinister Christopher Lloyd. Anyway, he shows up on the iceberg. By the way, uh, he has no name, but John calls him Einstein and so do all of the wikis. And starts talking about time. Time. This is all about time. Yeah, this is like 40% of the... I'm sorry, 40's underselling it. This is like 70% of the episode is just John talking to this guy and this guy repeating the same thing over and over again that wormholes bring you through time and you make different choices and they put you in different timelines or lifelines or whatever. And it's just... It's just the same thing repeated ad nauseum. Like, we get it. You could have built an interesting plot around this, but... I like it. I like the kind of metaphysical nature of it, the kind of like philosophical time doesn't exist. And yet, in a way, it's all that exists. Also, I like that John keeps trying to say who he is. He keeps trying to explain himself to this guy. And he keeps saying, you know, my name is John Crichton, an astronaut. My ship got shot through. Like, he keeps trying to go back to essentially the opening credit monologue. Eh, it's no scene where Paula does the opening song in a... Uh crazy ex-girlfriend that is a masterful scene yes see that's a well done character read anyway speaking of going back this guy kind of throws john out of the wormhole and he ends up back at the beginning of the very first episode when he first arrives on moya and he knows what's going on he recognizes everything and he's like oh yeah here we are back Day on the wormhole one. my name is john Crichton. i'm an astronaut i was shot he starts to give him the whole thing and Dargo starts choking him like he does in the episode, and he gets injected with the translator microbes because he's like, I can't answer you until the microbes take effect. Hold up. Hold up, buddy. And then we see the sequence we saw where Rigel comes up to him and is like, hey, these people, they're they're criminals, but you and I, we're going to team up. And he's like, oh, you've never successfully done anything, Rigel. <laughs> also, John's doing the thing where he calls stuff before it happens. He's like, oh, hey, Dargo, why don't you rip out the control panel? Bet that'll help things. To be fair, it does. It's true. That was really lucky. I mean, I know it had to be because otherwise we wouldn't have a show. But it's really lucky that Dargo happened to rip out the one control panel that stopped Moya from being under Peacekeeper uh, leash or whatever. The control collar. Yeah. Well, actually, what we learned in this episode is that there are thousands and thousands of possibilities for how reality could have been. And they all exist like really close to each other. So we're just following the reality where he ripped out the correct panel. There's a thing in a Discworld book about that where Carrot's trying to stop uh, two mobs from beating each other to death. And uh, they mentioned that like in th like there are thousands of worlds where he is horribly murdered by one or the other or both mobs. Uh -huh. But we're just going to follow the one where this works. Yes. Well, there's a there's a Roger Zelazny series that's basically all about all of these different side by side realities and the main characters have the ability to navigate between them. Also, the Boat series by Pierce Anthony. Yeah, which is a great series if you're 12 and at no other time in your life. <laughs> oh. Uh, God. It's every single book in that series. You get a flashback to Colleen. Is it Colleen or Colette? Or... It's Colleen. You get a, flash a different flashback to something in Colleen's life, something horrible and traumatic. Every single book... That she somehow did not mention in her previous book. It's always bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's always like, Jesus Christ. I, oh, it's, it's really weird to think of the fact that I read so many of the, of his books when I was in middle school. But also, I kind of don't think there's another time where a Pierce Anthony book would appeal to you. Because if you're an adult reading them, you're like, no. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? When when the main character, who's like a man in his 20s, 
hooks up with the 14-year-old girl in the Mode series, and it's differently when you're a 14-year-old girl, and you're like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, little correction. The 14-year-old girl is the main character. Oh, I know, I... I know Colleen is the main character. I was just, I, I wanted to, I wanted to lead into 14-year-old girl. Yeah. But of course, I was a 14-year-old girl when I was reading the series, so it didn't seem strange to me that she would hook up with Darius, the King of Laughter. Yeah, yeah. God, those books are so... Well, I mean, it's the same thing in Xanth, also by Pierre Xanth, and you like, I'm... I'm reading this book as, like, a, as a 12-year-old kid, and it doesn't seem weird to me that... Dolph, the shape-shifting prince, has to choose between marrying a 14-year-old girl or she'll die, or a super hot 18-year-old girl who's not that interested in him, but is legally required to marry him and have sex with him. I never read the Xanth books, and I'm suddenly glad for that. The first few are fine before they get to Piers Anthony E. Okay, but my point was, as a culture, we like, or, or at least we have many stories that embrace the all of the different realities kind of stretch out alongside us, all of the different paths we could have taken. And I think we like that because we like to think that if we made a wrong decision somewhere, someone made the right decision. And I mean, that's why, that's why that whole, the path not taken, right? That's, that's, that's why we all love Robert Frost. Okay. That's why we all, that's all why we all misremember Robert Frost. Mm. Not to not to backtrack a little bit, but that does remind me of one of I think the cooler ideas in Xanth. Uh-huh. Where later in the series there's a uh, uh God, I think her name's Dawn. She's a princess. Okay. Yeah, she she's the a lost twin of Eve. I think it's Dawn and Eve. Oh, that makes sense. Dawn. Yeah. Eve. Yeah. Yeah. But her superpower is uh her magic gift i'm sorry it's ida it's ida she was the secret ida and eve no it's ida and ivy and um and ivy's kids are don and eve okay okay but ida's everyone in xanth has a magic gift and hers is the idea which is any anything that anything that she believes becomes true okay as long as she doesn't know that it's a lie that seems like a real jacked up gift. I, I, I could see how it would be a fun thing to write. And as a completely weird, I, guess, I was going to say unrelated, but vaguely related side thing, she has a moon that orbits her head. It's a little moon. And if you stare at it really hard, you can go into it. Uh-huh. And it's an alternate version of Xanth. Okay. And the thing is, she's the one consistent thing. Uh-huh. So you can keep- She's the constant. Yeah. And the rules are different. In every reality, like there's one where age is determined entirely by geographic location. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so I just want to bring up, because you were like, what different decision would have led to everyone being a different race? Yes, I'm aware. This is a a conceit in these stories. Yeah. I I do grant you, though, that the next part is kind of weirdly out of place, where we get a bunch of talking heads of people in John's life. I don't get the point of the talking heads. It seems completely unrelated to everything else in the episode. Yeah, I was going to try to tie it in, but you're right. It, it is a little out of place. We see John's girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend, and DK and his... I was going to say his dad. We actually notably do not see his dad. Mm. But it's like baseball coach and his teacher. And at first they're all like, oh, John Crichton, he was a genius and I loved him. Over the course of the episode, that will change. I like how he keeps on picturing DK with short hair. Like in You, you all never his... saw him that way. Yeah. How did you know he cut his hair? You think he, he always wanted to see DK with short hair, so whenever he gets the chance, DK was his BFF on Earth. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, the wormhole alien wants to know how John has the ability to control wormholes. Like, he's way too primitive a species to be able to do this. So he pulls out the memory of the cricket aliens, and he's like, ugh. I was just going to kill you because we live in wormholes and wormholes really fuck us up when humans fuck with them, but... Lower beings. Yes, of course. But man, those cricket aliens, I have a lot of respect for them, so I guess I'm going to see how this plays out instead. He goes through basically a recap of all of the different stages John has gone through learning about wormholes and figuring them out. And essentially where he's going to be going this whole episode is that... John essentially does not have a healthy, respectful fear of wormholes. Like, he should be aware that they are fucking dangerous, 
And he needs to be more scared of them if he has the ability to control them. Because when you go through wormholes, you're not just going through space, you're going through time, and the choices you make back in time can blah, 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 blah. No, no, those things are unrelated. Okay, so he keeps throwing John out to different points in his past. And the thing is, when you go through a different point in your past, if you make a different decision and decide to stay there, like, that becomes the prime reality and you'll just live that reality out. That is unrelated to the fact that this guy wants John to have a healthier respect of wormholes because wormholes can, like, fucking destroy galaxies. And this guy is just some fucking human can make wormholes? That's not, that's not safe. Remember when we were talking about how Talon was like a toddler with a cannon? Mm. That's what John is, as far as the rest of the higher beings in the universe are concerned. So do you think he had this conversation with that mechanic lady from that desert planet when she mastered wormholes back in the day? I do, I do. I think he pulled furlough in and it was like, hey, wormholes are really scary and maybe you shouldn't know how to know about them. And she's like, oh, believe me, I know. And he was like, okay, same page. Good, good to know. So now John gets thrown into a different point in time. And this is a point in time when Moya's about to explode. He's alone with Chiana. Chiana's like, everyone's dead, John. Dead. Okay, but actually she's like, John, everyone's dead and we are about to die too. So we should probably bone because you know that I want to go out boning. She wants to go out with a bang. (laughs) Podcast over. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. That the podcast's over now. (laughs) That the podcast is over now. So Einstein pulls John back out from the past. By the way, this is important too, like... Or future. Right. What is time? Mm. Going back to once upon a time. Yeah. But this is important. John can't pull himself out of these moments. Einstein has to pull him out. He gives him another uh, another little montage of people from his past talking about him. Except this time it's all people from Moya. Although at this point it's all people we've lost, right? We see Zan and Jewel and Crace all talking about how much they love John or grew to respect him. I was going to say love parts of John. For example, his dick. That's that's where I was going with uh, that. Actually, it was his brain because they have brain sex. Well, Zan does. Oh, yeah. I meant Zan. Not Crace or... Uh... Not Crace or Jewel. By the way, they shot these scenes with these talking heads with Zan the same time that they shot the sequences for the video game episode. That makes sense. Yeah. They were like, we're putting you in makeup. Okay, wait. No, I have an answer now. I have an answer to why we have all these talking heads in this episode. Because they had the footage of Virginia Hayes and they needed to use it. I, I, I now I now 100% believe that when they had her over to do the video game episode, they were like, let's just shoot some random talking heads of you. And Jewel, too. Jewel was there at the same time. I don't know if that's when they shot her stuff. And then they were like, God, where are we going to use these? Let's write them into the episode. Let's let's somehow, like, awkwardly wedge them into the episode. So the talking head's opinion on John is starting to turn. They're talking about, you know, how selfish he is, how he only cares about how he comes off to other people. How he only has two graduate degrees. <laughs> I, I did like I did like the the one. It wasn't his ex girlfriend. It was a different one who was like, like I'm gonna sleep with a guy with only two graduate degrees. Also, this weird thing with his cousin. I didn't get that. Like, there's a thing with his cousin who she's like, well, I only met him once, and once was enough. And I can I confused like was he, he trying to hit on her? Or was that a different woman? No, no, no. That was a different woman. That was a different woman. The point is that like when he's seen people who love him, he's seen like how how big of an effect he had on everyone. And now it's like, at this point, I mean, people's opinions are starting to get negative and they're going to get way more negative. But at this point, there's a lot of, he's unremarkable. Like for John, that's almost probably scarier than being hated is being unremarkable. So it's almost as though when they tried to find some family member to talk about him, they were like, well, here's his cousin who kind of knew him once. So John goes back into the original memory of, like, day one when he met Aaron, and he's like, Hey, Aaron, I know all this stuff about your peacekeeperness. You want to have sex with me? And I love this. He puts out his hand to her like he did in the first episode. And in the first episode, she flipped him over when he did that. But here, because he's been training with her, she's not able to flip him over. He's able to hold his own with her. And he's all like, Hey, I know who you are. Maybe, I mean, he doesn't say it, but he's kind of implying maybe I'm a peacekeeper special secret operative too maybe maybe there's more to me than you know and then 
she leans into him like this is working on her, like they're just going to fuck day one, but then totally gets him on his back and it recreates the sequence from the first episode again where she's like straddling his face yeah. in, a, in, a, in a violent way, not a sexy way. I mean, not mm, that it's not sexy. Yeah. She she pins him to she pins his face to the floor with her vagina as she did in the first episode. She she asks him how do you know my name and he says what you should really ask is how I know that you have a mole on your butt. You know it's really that's a really standard thing, isn't it? It's really convenient, isn't it, in television that everyone's got a mole on their butt. I mean, it was uh, Elliot from Scrubs's defining thing. She, mole butt. She was mole butt. I I do I I'm sorry. This just made me think of the subversion of that in parks and rec when the city councilman is pretending that he had sex with leslie and he's like well if i didn't have sex with her how would i know she had a mole on her butt and then she's like fuck it i'm gonna strip on television and show you that he's lying oh she she moons them and then she still ended up president maybe yeah her or ben i guess yeah i mean it was it was her yeah it's definitely her okay here's the thing i want to say something that i'm realizing because a lot of times we're like Oh my god, we've been talking so long and we're so early in the episode. I'm just going to throw this out right now, halfway through the episode. Mm -hmm. This is definitely going to be a short episode because what happens, the metaphysical stuff can all be summed up pretty quickly. And I know that you're going to use that as evidence that this is a bad episode, but I love this episode. It's just the same information over and over again. So... John gets... I'm on TV. Being repetitive is my job. It's my job to be repetitive. I'm on TV. On TV, being repetitive is the job I have to do. I get more into the bit, but you get it. Uh, That's that's from uh, when Bart becomes the I didn't do it boy. I I know. Yeah. 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 So back through the wormhole, John ends up in an alternate reality where he is a peacekeeper where he is on the peacekeeper ship, where he is Braca's commander, where he is apparently questioning Sokozu, who has been captured as a Scarin spy. Mm. I mean, it doesn't really matter, especially because in a few minutes we're going to get a reality where everybody's a different race, so we don't really need to figure out how did this happen. But what I like here is that it's very possible that this could have happened. When... I mean... Sokozu's library or whatever just kind of rented her out to people, right? So. Oh, yeah. But I also, but I mostly meant John becoming a peacekeeper. Oh, yeah. Like, it's possible that he could have gone back with Aaron, that he could have chosen to go with her instead of staying on a ship of prisoners if she just, if she just hadn't said that line in the first episode where she was like, what's compassion? Fuck that. No, I, I meant more, wouldn't Grace have just killed John if he tried to come back? Oh, and then he goes back. He ends up fighting and killing Crace. Uh, Aaron does not become irrevocably contaminated. John becomes a peacekeeper. John raises him a Klingon promotion, right? Yeah, exactly. John raises up through the ranks. John becomes in charge. And even here we see that he's trying to protect Sokozu. So he's like, he realizes the peacekeepers are bad, but he's trying to like overthrow them from the inside. Like he's still John, but he's also. Oh, I assume that was because this was our John taking over the body. Oh. That could also be what happened. That's, I I guess it could have also gone another way. He could have also kind of bought into what Scorpius was trying to tell him earlier, that in the fight between peacekeepers and Scarens, maybe peacekeepers aren't the worst option. But yeah, that's, when he, John comes back, when, when Einstein pulls him back into the wormhole, John's like, that's not me. That couldn't be me. I would never be a peacekeeper. They're space fascists. And Einstein's like, yeah, you could have. You could have made those choices. It's fascists all the way down. Yeah. Oh, also Sokozu shot um, Braca and John cradled his body and was like, no. Yeah. So I guess that does lead more credence to the idea that, you know, this was just all alternate universe John in charge. Although that's not how the other scenes play out. The other scenes play out like John's... Yeah, John has the memory of this John, of our John. Yeah. Yeah. So, finally, John is like, okay, how about instead of fucking with me like all the aliens like to do... God, John's brain gets fucked with a lot. I know we've said this before, but... Mm -hmm. He's like, hey, how about instead of fucking with me, you just take the knowledge of wormholes out of my head and send me home. Still really don't have a good idea of why they put it there in the first place. They trusted John with the knowledge of wormholes. But why? That's a great question. (laughs) 
I mean, I mean, at this moment, we get like a blipvert, like a flash of all of the moments from a human reaction, mm-hmm. which is what the ancients did to decide if John was worthy of having the wormhole knowledge. So I don't know, something he did during a human reaction made them think that of all the humans in the world, he should be the one who understands wormholes. It's just, you had the option to not tell anyone. That's fine. You could have just not told anyone. I don't know. Maybe they felt bad for this guy and they wanted him to be able to get home. They wanted him. I feel like there has to be better options than we're going to kind of give you enough wormhole knowledge so that people will be trying to kill you all the time, but not really enough for it to be useful until your brain magically learns how to unlock it. Okay. Now, to be fair, without Scorpius and his Aurora chair, none of this would be happening because... He would just be a guy wandering about his life, and when he got to the point where he was mature enough to handle wormholes, he would be able to have the knowledge of wormholes. But instead, Scorpius had to go and, like, open that Pandora's box. Anyway, since this place is not super stable because it's more of a concept than a physical location, it starts falling apart because John's too indecisive. Also, at some point, at some point, if he doesn't, like tell Einstein what he wants to hear, Einstein's going to throw him into the wormhole and not be able to pull him back out. We get a talking heads flash of uh, Zan, uh, Jewel, and Stark all talking about how bad John is at sex, which, okay. That's mean. Yeah. Which, this doesn't seem like the moment for that, but whatever. I mean, imagine, it has a very funereal feel. Imagine, like, you're called to do a tribute for a guy, and you're like, I know he's dead, but what I want you to know is that he also was terrible at banging. He may be dead, but when we were fucking, I wished I was. Although, I mean, they do need to have that moment in there, because Zan really did love John, and John is only going to get broken up about it if he thinks that everything about how she felt about him was a lie so he has to hear her say that sex with him was bad i feel like this whole episode could have been an email like why why do you need the whole haunting specters from john's past talking about how bad his dick is for him to understand wormholes are dangerous yo so einstein tells him and we get not just einstein saying it but like all the voices from his past saying it too telling him the piece of information that's very important which is if you use wormholes to travel in time you have to make sure that you arrive after the moment when you left otherwise you're gonna fuck everything up time travels bad joe and then he throws john into a moment where john is on earth this is an alternate world where Scarens took over. Yeah, so John has, like, the half Scarin makeup. His dad is Wayne Pygram, who is Scorpius. Ah. Uh, okay. I mean, it, I, I, it's not... Scorpius is not his dad, but his dad is being played by the same actor who plays Scorpius. Yeah, and he has the half Scarin makeup, but different than his normal half Scarin makeup. Well, it's, it's much less intense than it usually is. And essentially, we understand that this is a world where... Earth is, like, enslaved to the Scarens. There's no space travel. John never went to the stars, etc., etc. John's dad gives this speech about how good it is that the Scarens took over because, like, they made it so no one goes hungry. There's world peace. There's no weak genes. Yeah. Well, I mean, isn't that what fascists always offer? Security in the place of freedom? Mm. Yeah. But they're they're on a lake and they're having, you know, a nice time on the lake. He also mentions how he knows that he, Wayne Pygram tells John how he knows that it was probably hard for John growing up with a father who was weak like this. Like, we know that John's dad was his hero. This guy was hero to no one. Hmm. Also, symbolically, I like Scorpius playing John's dad because the whole Aurora chair thing caused a kind of rebirth in John. In not necessarily a good way, but it definitely did. So Scorpius is John's dad is not out of order. So now Einstein is dying in the wormhole, which is going to suck because John's going to be stuck there. And the talking heads are telling John that he fucking sucks. Yeah, like there's a reverend who's like masturbating constantly, full of sin, the worst kid who ever came through my parish. But I have to say, 
this must be what John needs to hear as much as it's not what he wants to hear, because then the voices start yelling at him essentially, look, you know how to handle wormholes, it's in your fucking head! Get in that wormhole, navigate it like the maze that it is, and come out. You know where to go, you know how to get out. Oh, also, that's another thing we find out about wormholes here, like, you can only figure out how to exit a wormhole once you've been there, like, it's a whole thing. It's a whole, like, it's kind of like the map in Zelda, Mm -hmm. where once you've been somewhere, the map, like, forms, and when you hit the M button, you can see all the places you've been. Wormholes are like that. Yeah. So, now the glacier has, like... Shrunk. Yeah. To basically nothing. He fired a laser at Einstein when he first came in here, and the laser just kind of froze in midair. Well, it's been, like, slowly moving closer and closer. And it finally, like, unfreezes, because Piper's freezing ability stopped, and shoots John. And now we get more people talking about how much they hate him. He's the worst. Now we're in the what if everyone was a different race timeline. Here's the thing about the what if everyone was a different race timeline. It starts off with Aaron being Nabari, and Nabari makeup is some heavy medicine. It took me a while to figure out that that was supposed to be Aaron, because she does just look like regular Chiana. That makeup does a lot of heavy lifting for that look. So yeah, now we're in a world where Dargo is Jewel, and Rigel is Dargo, and, and Sokozu is Stark, and... And Naranti is Zan, but we already knew Naranti was Zan, right? Yes. <laughs> I do love Naranti Zan. It is really the character folding in on itself. I mean, it's. I was going to say it's the culmination of everything we've been waiting for, right? And while John is seeing all of this, he's also flashing back to the talking heads. He's talking. He's flashing back to things that happened previously in the show. He's flashing back to being back on the iceberg. Basically, John's brain is, like, coming apart here in this reality. But also, in a way, like, he's seeing the map, right? He's, he's hitting the M button over and over and seeing the Zelda map. He's seen all of the places that he's been. And you're right, okay? I will admit it. This sequence goes on just, like, a few seconds too long. We, we get it. We get it. It's weird that this, this, this episode is essentially the equivalent of a clip show. Yes. This is, which is appropriate because things are about to change in a really hardcore way. So it's appropriate that we kind of get something that thematically restates, look, it's about the choices you make. It's about free will versus free won't. Mm -hmm. But also, like, here's where we've been before so that everybody knows where we've been before. Remember, Farscape, this is the early 2000s. You're not going back and watching everything on streaming before you get to the last few episodes. That's true. You only have a vague idea of what happened in the show thus far. Crace comes on to kill everybody in this weird alternate universe where everyone's a different race. And then we learn that after he kills everyone, he was actually teamed up with John. John was a part of some sort of mission to take over the ship. Yeah, and John ends up with a scar, like Scar Joe. What? Oh, we didn't mention when we had the reality where he was a peacekeeper that he had a scar. Mm. So, yep, that's, that's John's possible alternate reality. The iceberg is really, really small now, and uh, the ice is the ice is getting thin. The, and the ice we skate is getting pretty thin. That's ex- yes. The exactly. water's getting warm, so you might as well swim. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yes, yeah. So John puts his spacesuit back on, and he decides he's going to go through that wormhole, and he's going to come back out. And Einstein's like, "Okay, but just so you know, you can destroy basically your entire world. And by world, I mean like whole universe." You can destroy your entire universe and my entire universe with your knowledge of wormholes. So, you know, don't fuck it up. I do really like this bit where John's like, look, I'm not Spock. I'm not Kirk. I'm not Luke. I'm not Arthur fucking Dent. I'm Dorothy Gale from Kansas, and I'm tapping my heels together. I'm like, yeah, okay, I like that. Hey, that's the name of the next episode. Kansas. The next episode oh, okay. is called Kansas. Okay, not I'm Dorothy fucking Gale. From- <laughs> no, no, but it, it is because honestly, this is this episode stands on its own, but it is a two parter. It is a to be continued, and that is what's happening. John's gonna click his heels together three times, jump into the wormhole, and when he comes back, 
he is floating above Earth, and he's like, "I did it! I'm floating above Earth!" Oh, this is this is really oh, worse, isn't it? Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Yeah. Blah. Credits. End. I just, I feel like this episode had a strong concept, but I like the pacing feels off. It. If we're jumping between lots of different dimensions, we should be jumping between lots of different dimensions, not the first episode twice for some reason, one peacekeeper dimension, and then the everyone's another race thing, which is just another peacekeeper dimension. Okay, if we were writing this episode, we could have written it tighter. Not going to argue with you there. But I like its meditative pace. Although... That is a generous way to phrase that. Although it's evidenced by how little time it took us to talk about it, you can see how it didn't actually take up a lot of action time. Well, the thing is, I don't need a show to be action-y to be good. It just needs to feel like something is happening. In fact, action scenes often have the opposite problem, where it feels like too much nothing is happening for too long. I don't know. I liked this episode. It felt floaty to me. I... Oh, God. Literally the opposite. I felt dragged down and trapped by this episode. Well, as long as we were both getting a water vibe. <sighs> I, You know what? I really, really want to hear from our listeners what they thought about it. As long as Twitter continues to exist, please tweet at us and tell us what you thought about this episode. God willing, it'll survive. Until, what, two more days? This episode goes up in two days. Uh, let's talk about our segments. Uh, yes. Uh, we have three segments. So, like John, we have we have strange alien creatures, which is what alien design worked for you in this episode. Okay, so there weren't really new alien designs in this episode. I there were so many new alien designs. We saw what would happen if the Rigel puppet was a Luxon. <laughs> yes, that is what I was getting to. I liked seeing everyone in different species makeup. That was neat. I especially like Naranti Zan because, as we found out, Zan is apparently the only bald uh, Delvian. Yes. <laughs> which uh, Virginia Hayes must have been so mad about. Just so you know, in these episodes, this one and the video game episode, she's wearing a bald wig. She was like, yeah, no. And I have to imagine Virginia Hayes was like, wait, I could have been doing this the whole time. Also, I liked the way that they did the half scarin makeup on that one planet. Because it it wasn't as intense as Scorpius's. It was just a little bit. It was just uncanny. It was smack dab in the middle of the uncanny valley. Oh it, no, you didn't like it. No, it's not that I didn't like it. It just reminded me of people who've had bad fillers. Exactly! No, in <laughs> uncanny valley! That Yes, thank you for agreeing with me. It's It's always weird when I see people who I'm like, Shouldn't you have been able to afford good fillers? Or is it the sort of thing where you don't know until it's too late? I think you don't know until it's too late. I don't think you know how your face is going to react to it. Because there's some very famous and I'm assuming rich people who've had just terrible filler. I also think like you could just go overboard. Also filler fades. So I think maybe it depends on what day you catch them. Mm. Also like John, we are in a distant part of the universe. What world building worked for you in this episode? Okay, I know I spent the whole episode smack-talking it, but that's really because I feel like it needed to be more explored during the episode. I do like the idea that wormholes allow you to access different timelines. I do like that concept. It's just, you need to do something other than repeat, hey, did you know that wormholes bring you to different timelines? Here's a slightly different timeline. Hey, did you know that wormholes bring you to different times? It, it felt like you were trapped talking to the same NPC over and over again. Like, what new information did the alien cricket guy, or I guess he wasn't a cricket, he's the weird dude who's living inside the wormhole, what new information did he give John after their first conversation? I mean, the thing that he put John through taught him to navigate wormholes. He's at Earth now. Didn't he already... I thought he already knew how to do that. Like No, he knew how to anticipate when they were going to appear. He did not know how to use them to travel yet. Okay, I also don't get how he got from point A to point B learning how... Seeing him learn how to navigate wormholes would have been cool. I don't get how the guy repeating the same speech over and over again taught him how to... 
And finally, look upward. What emotionally resonated with you in this episode? I really liked the bit where John said that he's not a sci-fi hero. He's Dorothy Gale. I really liked that. That was my favorite part of the episode by a lot. Uh, I really liked when Aaron saw John get sucked into the wormhole and realized how bad things were about to get. So the episode peaked for you at about minute one. Next week, we're talking about Kansas. And the description from IMDb is... After accidentally returning to Earth, Crichton discovers he is in 1985, and he has altered the timeline, causing his father to be scheduled to fly on the shuttle Challenger. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm I'm not actually a huge fan of time travel stories. I know, I know you love them, but... That's okay, it's okay. I love time travel stories and you don't, so that we can be a good trivia team. But... I mean... There, there are some I like. I like all's uh, Roswell that ends well. Then I think you're going to like this one. Does John become his own dad after he accidentally blows up his dad in the Challenger explosion? No, he does not, but... Because oh, that would be pretty hilarious. I mean, I already showed you the picture of Claudia Black in this episode, right? Yes. Oh, good. A lesson in not altering timelines by Mr. I'm my own grandpa. What? Okay, the thing is, it's it's... It's not a big thing. It's such a minor thing, but it's so cool. But I don't want to build it up too much because you're going to be like, okay, whatever. Yeah, that is the danger of building stuff up too much. But there's a there's a little there's a little thing in here that I like. There's a little thing I like in in the next episode. Okay. So I think that's going to do it for us this week. Yeah, short one this week. We only talked for an hour about a forty five minute show. <laughs> Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maracruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, and Dan. If you'd like to support us in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, and really, I want to know if you like this episode or not, since we are so divided, Mm. or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you can tweet at us for as long as Twitter exists at ILoveTVZines, or you can email us at ILoveTelevisionZines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Space Noir.